And we're calling this uh, Campaign All In. And uh, you'll begin to see why in a few moments. But very specifically, uh, 2020 is a significant year for um, this church. It's not a significant, it's a significant year because in 2020, it marks 125 years of gospel ministry that has occurred here at 312 West Union Street. That's pretty awesome. Um, so in, in 1895, uh, a group of Christians came together and they built this church. It was Mount Olivet Baptist Church. And then afterwards, it was Calvary Lutheran Church, which you may know but just by being a few blocks down uh, by Rosedale and New. And then it was Reformed Presbyterian Church, and now it's Ironworks Church. So here we are today. We're standing on really the shoulders of giants. We're standing on the shoulders of the saints who have gone before us. And we are here today really with this incredible gift of this facility. And we also um, want to acknowledge that this facility is 4,000 square feet. It's an incredible, we have this incredible worship space um, and it's been used for a lot of different things. Um, just thinking about uh, this, like we've had um, uh, t- two years ago, uh, we had meet the mayoral, mayoral candidates um, here in our space. And so there's uh, uh, roughly 100 people from the community coming to hear uh, mayor, can- mayoral candidates and, and ask them questions. Also, we hosted a, cre- a crew spring formal. Um, so, yes, there was a dance party occurring here in the sanctuary. Not once, twice, and possibly a third time this coming um, semester. Who knows? What I'm, sh- what I'm showing is that we are, have been able to use this space for, uh, to really just care for and love and bless our neighborhood and community well. But even though we're 4,000 square feet here in the space, we only use half of it. Like, we're not fully utilizing the resources of our space. And what I mean by that is that our basement is currently unusable. Uh, there was mold, and we had to take care of that. You had that remediated. There's been some water damage and more. And just years of just simply deferred maintenance, um, um, and even under, like, seriously, my watch, the, uh, there's just been deferred maintenance. And we're in this point where if we want to continue to use our space as a resource for the community, whether it be for weddings or funerals, if we want to be a resource for other ministries in the community or, or other things entirely, if we just want to create a platform for us to actually have have a stronger children's ministry. Um, just imagine making, if, for those who are volunteers, making coffee downstairs in the basement and just bringing it upstairs as opposed to making it in the building next door. Um, or there's so many things that we can begin to dream about and imagine. And so we're, ca- we're calling this the all-in campaign because uh, we are we're responding to God's call and going all-in on this mission to follow Jesus, the way of Jesus for to go to Westchester. And so I'm going to be explaining um, what this vision looks like over the next four weeks. Today we're beginning with um, All In with Jesus. Next week is All In for Westchester. The week after that is All In with one another. And the following week is All In for the next generation. And uh, we have these uh, booklets um, that are available to you that really explains this whole thing. Um, and you'll be receiving one. The ushers will be giving you one as you walk out of here at the after worship. Um, but please um, take one per household. Look at it. Ask questions. And like this is a, this is really an invitation to you as well. Because as we kick this off, I want you and I really invite you to dream about this. I want you to imagine how what could we use the basement for? 
What, what, is the, what is the vision that God is placing on your heart that we could actually use this space for more fully? And let's, let's see what the Lord does with these dreams and that he gives us. And so um, we'll be talking about this a lot more. And so um, let's actually just dive into God's word today. We are looking at two scripture passages. Uh, primarily, we are anchoring ourselves in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 22. And I came up here without a cup of water. Can so, Thank you, Sabrina. Sabrina's getting me a cup of water. You know, I was reading Home Remedies on losing your voice. And they say, drink water and not coffee. So, oops. So Colossians 1, verses 15 through 22, I'm reading from the ESV. You can follow along in your worship guide, or you can follow along on the, the walls uh, behind me. Let's give our careful to the, the reading of God's word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you... And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is the word of the Lord. And let me jump to Luke. Chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Here's, this is again from the ESV. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this day that we are here to hear your word, that we are here before you as our loving Heavenly Father, and we ask that you would make yourself known to us today, that we, we would see your goodness and your truth and your beauty and your love, that we would see you for who you are, and that we, we would see your word for our lives as well today. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. In 1975, Sylvester Stallone was expecting a child. He had too little money to pay rent for his apartment, and so he sat down and wrote a screenplay. That screenplay uh, became the movie Rocky. He wrote it within four days. I find that incredible. He wrote this entire script in four days. And Rocky has gone on to become the entire reason for his success. And when producers saw the script, they jumped at it. They threw money at him, but Rocky, I know, Sylvester Stallone is also known as Rocky, but Sylvester Stallone said no. He kept saying no. And the producers are saying, why? We're giving you hundreds of thousands of, hundreds of, thousands of dollars. Why are you saying no? Said, and so Sylvester Stallone said, I'm playing Rocky Balboa. That's the condition for me to say yes. 
It was a gamble and it was a chance. Another example, another story was that after two years at Harvard, Bill Gates dropped out. Like Who dropped out of Harvard? But why did he drop out? Because he was starting his own business, and the business is now known as Microsoft. Again, this was something that he was willing to go all in for. It was something that he was willing to take a chance and gamble on. And then in 2013, Beyonce surprised the world. With no promotion, with no marketing, with no marketing whatsoever, she dropped a brand new album. Who does that? Well, Queen B, the Beyonce. So perhaps that's not a gamble like any of the other two, but you're getting this idea that like there are some risks in life that are worth taking. And like so the, one of the questions that we are asking over the next few weeks is following Jesus for the way uh, is following Jesus for the good of Westchester a risk worth taking? That's the big question that we're asking over the next few weeks. And the answer is absolutely yes. And I want you to decide that for yourself. Is following Jesus for the good of Westchester worth following? Are you willing to risk everything for, you, for Jesus? As, as, as a church, are we committed to this mission that God has given us? And so the, qu- the quick answer, like I said, is yes. But I want to point out what I want to point out to you is that Jesus even tells us to ask ourselves this question. Because Jesus says that before we follow him, we need to count the cost. Jesus wants us to ask this question. Is following Jesus worth it? Is is giving my life fully over to Jesus, is going all in with Jesus worth it? And so... um, as we dive into this text, as we dive into this idea of being all in with Jesus, we need to really consider two central questions today. One is, who is Jesus? And the other is, what is Jesus up to? Who is Jesus and what is he up to? And in a sense, this is actually that entire dichotomy of like the, the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus are, is very hard to really uh, like s- separate. Uh, one of my theology professors in seminary would say you can never divorce Jesus from what he does. Because what he does for you, he dies for your sin. He is your savior. You can't divorce who Jesus is from what he does. And so um, we're looking at this picture of who Jesus is in Colossians. And it's a big cosmic picture of who Jesus is. And it's also a very personal one. And so if you're here today and you are a non-Christian, we're very glad that you are here with us. We, uh, Jesus is called the friend of sinners, and we want Ironworks Church to be a friend of sinners as well. And as you're here today, Jesus wants you to consider these questions of, is Jesus worth following? Because he pointedly said, count the cost. He wants you to ask this question of your own life. Is following Jesus worth something? Is it worth, excuse me, is following Jesus truly worth it. If you're here today as a visitor and perhaps you're in town and you're looking for a new church, this is really a beautiful, uh, timely opportunity for you to really learn what we as a church are all about over the next four weeks. So let's just dive into our sermon. Like I said, two points. Who is Jesus and what has he done? So who is Jesus? And the the Apostle Paul here gives us this big picture of who Jesus is. 
And to truly capture the weight, to truly capture the drama of Jesus' identity and what Paul is saying, we need to know something more about the immediate context and about the life that both and the, about the life that Jesus lived, about the life that Paul lived, and the culture they lived in. Because going back to Jesus, back all the way to Mark chapter 1, when Jesus announced the good news, he said, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. When Jesus said this, he was saying something that everyone quickly understood. He said, everyone understood what Jesus was saying, in a sense. Because the word gospel, in our vocabulary, is a very distinct religious word. But for the people in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, it was a political word. In the Greco-Roman world, from the time of Alexander the Great to the time of the Roman Empire, the word gospel was used to refer to uh, world-changing events, to world-shaping events. And so you would see this in like the Gospel of Caesar. You would see this about all sorts of different things. And Eugene Peterson really captures the weight of Jesus' words in Mark by artistically putting it this way. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe in the message. That captures the drama of what Jesus is saying. And so as Paul is writing to these Colossian Christians, he directly challenges the gospel of Caesar. Paul is challenging the gospel of Caesar here in Colossians. As you would walk into a Roman city... You would see, like just like Colossae, uh, you would see an arch over the gate. And on that arch, you would have various images of Caesar. There would be a bust of his face. There would be entire statues of him. And then alongside these arches, you'll see these fruitful trees that would depict prosperity and success. And so the entire idea is that like, if you want to have prosperity and success, you have to be under Roman rule. And so these arches, these were the billboards of their day. And they were saying that Caesar is the one who brings you the good life. And so in Rome, there was an, a, an altar to Caesar. as Caesar was understood to be a god. But on this altar was shown how Caesar's reign, how Roman reign would bring peace. It was through paganism, through war, through victory, and then peace. In other words, through empire and conquest. And so Paul, however, is challenging that gospel of Caesar here by saying that the good news of Jesus Christ is what bears fruits and increases in your life in the whole world. Like we're looking at here, um, like looking at, or like if you, if you have your Bibles with you, it's like Colossians 1 verse 10. So as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. But Paul is saying Jesus is the one who brings fruit in your life. Jesus, in our text, verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the one who sustains the universe. That if Jesus would let go of the universe, everything would fall apart. That's verse 17. So what Paul is saying here is a direct challenge to the Roman gospel. And everyone in Colossae knew that. Everyone knew that. Caesar is not the one who does any of these things. Caesar doesn't reveal who God is. Jesus does. Caesar is not the one who holds all things together. Jesus does. Jesus is the image of God. If you want to know God, then look at Jesus Christ. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. 
In other words, Jesus is the right and true king over all things because he is the creator of all things. But Jesus did not just simply come to his creation. Jesus does more than this. He came to redeem the world that he made. Paul powerfully puts it this way. All things, all things are reconciled through Jesus Christ making peace by the blood of the cross. That's huge. Just one point this out. Because all things, Jesus isn't just saying your souls. Jesus isn't just saying our individual lives. Jesus, Paul says all things. Like so the entire cosmos is being rescued and redeemed by Jesus through the blood of the cross. So perhaps this is a new idea to you. And I understand that because Christians fundamentally, ultimately believe two things. And you have to believe these two things to be a Christian. And these two things are this. One, the first thing is that we are all sinners who need a Savior. Number two, Jesus is that Savior. And that's what we all believe as Christians. But what I want to point out is that's not the entirety of Scripture. That's not the entirety of the biblical story. And it, if that's the only way that you actually think about Jesus, you actually diminish him. You really do. You push him off to, to the side. But like, so let, let's really think about this idea that Jesus is a cosmic redeemer, to put it that way. But let's, and with, let me put it this way. Within the Reformed tradition, and like Ironworks as a church locates herself within the Reformed tradition of Christianity, we describe God's story as having four chapters. Creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. And so just to kind of briefly go through that. Creation, the very first chapter, we see how God made things, how God made everything, people, places, and things. And he says, this is good. This is very good. So everything was good and pleasing to God in his sight. But then we come to the second chapter of God's story where we see the fall. And the fall is the story of how people and places and things are broken. Throughout the pages of the scripture, we see this fall reality that, that people are sinful. We are inclined to vices. We essentially rebel against God's reign by insisting on our own. And we live this. We experience this within our daily lives. I really appreciate how British writer Francis Bufford defines sin. That sin is the human propensity to break things. We break things. We know this about our own life. We don't need to pretend about that. The third chapter <coughs> of the story is redemption. Redemption is a story of what people and places and things could become under the reign of Jesus because all things are reconciled to God because of his death, because of Jesus' death upon the cross. And so then we get to the fourth chapter of renewal. And renewal tells the story of how one day this is what we will be like, of what people and places and things will be like when Jesus fully brings about his reign. At the very end of Scripture, we see this remarkable promise. Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. This is incredible. This, so in other words, Jesus is our creator, and he has come to rescue the entirety of his creation. And so the next time you read John 3.16, which is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse, read it with the whole gospel in mind. For God so loved the world, real, play, pe real people, real places, that God gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. 
And so this big vision of Jesus, of who he is and what he does, is meant to captivate us. Jesus is meant to be the center of our lives. He's meant to be the anchor of our faith. He is our creator. And he is our redeemer. That's who he is. That is who he is. But we dismiss, we dismiss this big and cosmic view of Jesus. And we do that regardless of our faith background. We approach Jesus looking for an endorsement. We want Jesus to be on our team. Jesus, so we come to Jesus and we look to Jesus like, does Jesus endorse my political views? Does Jesus endorse my parenting style? Does Jesus endorse my professional aspirations? Does Jesus endorse my, my choice of study? When Jesus is only a, an endorsement, we close ourselves off from being tra- challenged by him. We, and when we do that, we close ourselves off from being transformed by him. If we don't let Jesus challenge us, in other words, we cannot change. We cannot experience the freedom and that he promises us. We can't approach Jesus as an endorsement because ultimately that's not who he is. He is our creator and he is our redeemer. He is so much more than this. Jesus wants to have life with us. And so he wants to challenge us for, because the hard news, of the, the gospel has two sides of it. There is this incredible, incredibly hard part of the gospel. And there is an incredibly freeing part of the good news of Jesus Christ. The hard part of the gospel is that we are sinners. And we are more sinful than we could have ever thought. But on the other hand, the freeing part of the gospel is that we are more loved and we are more, we are more loved than we could ever imagine. Jesus has come to liberate us. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if we don't follow Jesus Christ, we have to admit both things. We have to say, yes, I'm a sinner. And yes, you are my savior. But let's, let, let's think about the liberation that Jesus brings us. Very specifically. And this is why we read Luke 4, verses 18 through 19. Because here, just to resummarize it for us, Jesus came to preach, proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to liberate those who are oppressed, to bring healing to those who are ill, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This right here is a summary of redemption. It is a summary of redemption. Biblical scholar Christopher Wright points out that Jesus' redemption is holistic. It touches every part of our lives. It includes political freedom, where we are free from oppression. It includes social freedom, where you are free from interference in your own life. Economic freedom, where you are free from slavery. And spiritual freedom, where you are freed, freed from the idols and where you are able to know the favor and the love and delight of God. In other words, Jesus came so that you would be able to live completely different lives. Jesus came so that you would be able to live completely different lives. That's what redemption looks like. That's what redemption is. We don't have to, we do not have to be like our parents. We don't have to be trapped by our family of origin. We do not have to continue the same sinful life patterns. Here's a few examples of what I mean by this. My friend Sam's family on both his mother's side and his father's side is marked by a divorce going back a few generations. And when he got married, he and his wife said to one another, we're ne- we're, we are going to have a marriage and we are never going to get a divorce. Why? 
was that just because of like, hey, let's try hard and make, make sure we don't get a divorce? No, it was like because of Jesus. Because we want to do things differently than our families have done. Here's another example. My, my own paternal grandfather abandoned my dad when he was three days old. My dad, my dad was present and involved all throughout my childhood, even still today. Why? Because God got a hold of his life. And because of Jesus. Because of my dad when he was at the military academy, he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Another example, I had some dear friends who said they were done with the church after having, uh, being really hurt by that church. They said they were done, and then three years later, they said, hey, we're joining the church. We're becoming members, and I'm completely flabbergasted at this. I'm like, why? And it was simply because they found a church that ch championed the way of Jesus, that championed God's love and grace. Another one, recently a friend faced a particular challenge, but instead of responding in frustration or anger, she was responding with grace and patience, with great calm. And others noticed this about her, and they asked her, what's going on? And it was at that moment she was like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm actually asking God for help in this moment, something that she's never done. My simple point is that because of Jesus, we are able to live very different lives because he is the creator of all things. He is the redeemer of, of all things. This also means he is your creator. And he, this also means he, this is, he is your savior. Jesus, as we, in this passage, we have this great cosmic view of who Jesus is, that he is coming to restore all things to himself. We have this very personal, very, um, very intimate view of Jesus as he can, as you can even know him. Recently, um, my, my little son, um, who's only three, he's, he's, calling, he's saying that God is his friend. I love that because that is a true biblical picture of our relationship with God because God has called us friends. This, that's what I'm getting at, that the God who created all things is also our friends. That is a beautiful thing. And so, friends, God loves you. He is for you. Jesus, who is renewing all things, he is at work in your lives. He's at work in your life today. And as God sent Jesus into the world, we, we see Jesus saying, as the Father has sent me, I send you into the world. And so the, that's a great commission, not in Matthew 28, but in John 17, 18, John 17, verses 18 to 21, there's a great commission there. As the Father has sent me, I send you. We are sent in the same way into the world as the Father has sent his Son into the world. And it's our job to make the love of Christ known to the world. As Christians, our lives are meant to be a living explanation as to who Jesus is. And so when you see people coming to faith for the first time, when you, see, when you witness that conversion, when you see someone's old, stale faith renewed, when you see broken and estranged marriages and relationships become sources of love again, you are witnessing God at work. You're seeing something beautiful. You're seeing something good. You're seeing something loving, lovely, and it's compelling. I love how a poet, um, W.H. Auden, his, his first name is escaping me, but this is your quote. One of your quotes for reflection in your worship guide. It's actually one of my favorite poems. He says this, he is the way. 
follow him through the land of unlikeness. You will see rare beasts and have unique adventures. He is the truth. Seek him in the kingdom of anxiety. You will come to a great city that has expected your return for years. He is the life. Love him in the world of the flesh and at your marriage all it, all its occasions shall dance for joy. To, to pull us together. Following Jesus is an adventure. That's what, that's what the poet's getting at. Following Jesus means that your life is more than you could ever dream. That every aspect of your life is, it has more significance than you could think about. Because your, your life is a living demonstration of God's design for all creation. So your work is not just a, a, a paycheck. Your work is actually a way to show God's reign over that industry. When, when you experience God's love, your life must be marked by love for others. So as you look at, at other people whom you, whom you have relationships with, you're able to simply love them as opposed to look for things to be gained from them. So we are, and so what this means is that if, as our lives are a living demonstration of God's design for our lives, our imaginations are more than just our entertainment, even though that can be a good thing. Our imaginations are meant to be caught up in God's intentions and dreams for this world. We need to be able to use, we need to be able to imagine ways to use our power and our privilege and our abilities to love other people. We need to be able to imagine ourselves and dream of ourselves demonstrating God's kindness to others. But as we just dream and imagine about these things, we must be able to act on them where we give our entire lives to Jesus so that his invisible reign would be made visible where we are able to show that who Jesus Christ is by how we live but for us to do that we need to be all in and I, I want to close with this one line from the, that, that, that poem because as you seek Jesus as you follow him you will come to a great city that has, your, that has expected your return for years. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace for us. We thank you that you are our creator. We thank you that you are our redeemer. And we uh, ask that, uh, you would, that we would be able to experience just how personal and, um, and intimate our life with you is. So, Father, in the coming weeks, in the coming days, help us to know your word more fully and to, to see you bear fruit in our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.